Hey everybody, Shop Talk Show number 287. Just Dave and I this week, we're going to be talking about I don't know, all kinds of stuff. Editorial workflows, weirdly enough, the kind of the tech of it and otherwise, which is interesting. We're talking about CMS-ish things that are about just editing the front end of the website only. And talk about editing files without version control. I wonder if you can guess what we're going to say about that and all kinds of other stuff, including just Dave and I chatting about our lives and the world. Uh, uh, let's get to it for now. Dave, sir, please kick things off. Breaking news here on the Shop Talk Show. We head over to correspondent Chris Quayer. Chris. Yeah. Hi. It's hey, what's a, happening? It's a windy day here in Bend, Oregon. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Ooh, can hardly, chilly. Mm-hmm. It is a little brisk, to be honest with you. But yeah, it's a great day. Dave, Dave, um, I've entered the club. Yes, you're here. How does it feel? You've entered the world of? Of, da- of, da- of tech dad. Tech dad. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Your pants are riding a little it's high. It's not today, rare, Chris. to be honest. There's a lot of people in this club. It's kind of like the AARP or whatever. You just <laughs> just get in once in a while. Well, congratulations, Chris. On Thank you. It's been a long time uh, cooking. It's been a long time cooking, and it feels good. It was just yesterday, so I'm just sneaking out for a little bit. Um, just because, you know, shop talk show listeners are demanding. No. Well, well beh- just a little behind the scenes. We plan to have like record two episodes for the paternity leave like today. Yeah, uh, this is Thursday, and like baby comes on Wednesday. And it yeah, like, whoops. Uh, and so anyway, we're gonna do our best here. Uh, to, uh, there's a lot of funny stuff. I mean, it's a whole story. There's there's definitely like moments of oversharing, but like the earliest hint we had that it was coming, I was in San Francisco for for, oh. for an event to part. Oh. And I was like, um, I need to leave right now. So can I leave? <laughs> I was able to give my talk, fortunately, quickly and then get out of there. But oh, wow. I didn't get a wow, chance wow. to make the party. So I'm sorry if I missed any of you out in San Francisco. I had to scoot. You had to, you had to go uh, do labor. Mm-hmm. So, so remember, remember though, last week, just to change pace here a little bit, let's, let's um, I totally ripped this off from you today and blogged it because I just wanted to. But this Heck is yeah. really I should have I should have attributed Dave more carefully in the Blah. in the posting. But it was we were talking about um, a- attribute the attribute function in CSS and uh, somebody wrote in asking something about it. I'm sorry that I don't remember. My mind is a little a mess. But you're like, well, I I I know what you're talking about. We were talking about how it's kind of useless because the only thing that it can be as a value in CSS is a string and strings aren't very useful in CSS. They're really only used for pseudo content. And pseudo content is fine, but it's like it's not tremendously useful. You can, it can't be a color, it can't be a value, it can't be a URL. It's just all this. It's like it's just a stupid function in CSS. CSS four does have a way to turn a, a string in into a value with the attribute function, but nobody supports it, and there's no sign that anybody cares to support it. So it's just one of those things where we were like kind of crapping on the attr function. I even asked around everybody, like, "What's up? What do you use this for?" That's actually useful. I got a sprinkling of responses. None of them were particularly great. And then you said, "I mean, you know," and I'm screwing up the timeline a little bit here. But during the show, you said, "Like, I've been using, you know, 
custom properties on my blog for theming. And it's the same kind of thing. Rather than just an attribute on the HTML, you can just use the style attribute and set a CSS custom property. And, you know, my mind exploded. You know, I was like, you're absolutely right, Dave. You can, a CSS custom property can be a string, but it also can be a color or a URL or a value or all those things. And it properly like typecast them or whatever. So I finally, I, I just stole the idea and wrote it up on CSS tricks and it feels good. Yeah. You, you did like a tool tippy thing, which is awesome. It's like exactly yeah, what you want. That was just want, well, like, kind of one example of it, which I'm not like a huge fan of, of like CSS tool tips. Or yeah. Just for accessibility reasons. They're like, cause I, I just didn't go there, but I just, if you look up the atter function in CSS, like so many people use that as a demo of a of a use case for it, and I'm just like, oh, I wish that wasn't a use case for it. But if because it is a use case, look at all these, you know, look at porting it to how much more ability you get out of doing it with uh, function. But there's other examples in there too. There's a whole bunch of examples in here. Every use case of atter you can do with CSS custom properties too, and you can do way more with custom properties. It's just straight up better. So Dave's idea, mm-hmm. I took it and ran with it. It was lots of fun. Oh, that's good. We also, uh, airs and omissions cast. Um, <laughs> we got some feedback on the Twitters. Let me pull this up. Uh, somebody, we were talking about the other day, we were talking about, um, what was it, Chris? We were talking about, um, the, 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 EMs versus picks in type sizing. Oh yeah, um, we did get a little remember. feedback on that. There, the, 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 there was kind of like no pixels are still a little bit bad for page zoom, but yeah, the the, the uh, it, it's Daniel Bull, Daniel Bull writes in it's not okay to use picks for font size. Okay, Daniel, let's calm down. But by doing so, you're not allowing users to use text resize. Don't rely on page zoom. So I think uh, what Daniel, I think. A, it would have been helpful for like a blog post or something to like kind of illustrate this. But the idea here is if you you set your font size in the UA, like in Firefox, you can set your font size to like 96 if you want. Um, I don't know. iOS, you have like a little bit of a font size thing that you can change to. So if you set that at the, the U- user agent level or the OS level, um, that pix font size will override that. So I understand this. I get this. I think um I think it is tough to like I still don't totally wrap my mind around the whole thing. Do we I'll, we might as well go here. We're already here. So like let's say let's say okay, don't rely on browser zoom. Let's establish that as a, as a thing. So but but it's mandated through accessibility, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. That you have to have some way to change font size. So how do people do that then? If you, if there's no browser zoom, you offer an on page thing. To, last time I blogged about on page font style selectors, I got a million comments that are people are like, "No, that's taking the spec thing too literally. You actually don't need to provide an on page font size changing thing." Um, yeah. Okay. So I, that's at odds. I don't understand the difference there. And then, and then, so so this is only user agent specific, and I'm not going to discount that. But how many people on earth use change their user agent style sheet? Is that I don't know, like how much yeah, weight do we need to put on that? Yeah, I don't know, I, and I think that's that's why I think it would be nice to have a blog post or something kind of backing up this. I, I kind of googled around for like the latest thinking on this, and I really struggled to find something like about UA 
text sizing. So I would love to read something on that. So, uh, but you know, that's something definitely to consider that. And I don't, I'm not going to single out anybody for this, but there is this thing that also rumbles around my head a whole bunch is that sometimes ideas in web design stick around in there in a way that like becomes a weird kind of dogma thing. Like there, it used to just be a thing. And this was definitely one of them. Never use pixels for font sizing because it's bad for accessibility. It was like a sound bite and existed for a long time. And then it started to be less and less true. And it may be the case that that sound bite is stuck around. It, I may be totally wrong about this one. It may be the case that it's still a very bad idea. It still needs to be hashed out a little bit or something. Or maybe the, ju- the jury's still out on it. I don't know. I don't. I wish I had more data to tell you, but there was there's been a little examples about this that I've, I've observed over time. One, another classic one was never use pixels for media queries, and that became a soundbite, and everybody repeated it. And if you ever mentioned or ever showed a pixel media query, somebody would chime in and say, "Never do that! Never do that! Never do that!" It just became a thing that there wasn't like because of this reason. Here's the browsers that it's problematic in because over time that became not true anymore, and then now it's to these days it's really it's. It's just not the case anymore that you shouldn't use pixels in media query, but the sound bite sticks around. So it's just one of yeah, the- yeah. That's that's where like it's hard to uh, like. I would love the latest thinking on this, a refresher on on what what's expected. Be a great so. blog post idea, honestly. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I don't know how this happened to me the other day, but I, it was, blog, I, blog me Amadeus. Yeah, wasn't that <laughs> that was a weird day? It was just a. I mean, not that. And it's not like I got overwhelmed with responser, but it became like my most popular tweet of all time all of a sudden. And it was because it was just an internal Slack discussion. You know, sometimes you say something clever in Slack and you're like, I'm going to tweet that. But I was like, I was just talking to somebody in Slack and they're like talking about, you know, a blog post or something. I'm like, you know, it's a good blog post, just like anything that you Google but don't find like a super compelling answer for, you know, or like, and so the tweet was just, you know, Write a blog post that is what you wish you found when you Google something. Uh, resonated with a lot of yeah. people apparently, and I'd be okay if that was my legacy tweet. Honestly, that's yeah. like that's what you go out on. Is yeah, just the uh, hey, blog something you found hard to find. Yeah, yep. I, my my yeah. my feeling with Twitter has been weird lately. It's been such a difficult place lately, hasn't it? It's a difficult. I, I deleted it from my phone, not because I'm like, oh, I can't do. I'll probably have to do Twitter forever. It's part of my business. To, to be straight up honest with you, but, uh, but not having it on my phone kind of feels good. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I delete it from my phone on and off, and then I use the mobile app, and then I like yeah. hate the mobile app, and then I reinstall it. it. Yeah, that's uh, about to happen. That's the uh, but the um, uh, it's a pretty good progressive web app. But I think on iOS, it just like suddenly forgets to scroll. Whatever. Hey, welcome to React. Um, there. I, the uh, it's it's a weird situation, Chris. It's like you if if you think of Twitter as like a party, it's like why am I at the same party as Donald Trump? And then like this, and it's not just a party; it's like a yelling party. It's like where everyone just yells at their top volume in in yeah. like what is going on? Like uh, it's became, to me, it was a morning thing that I got so used to just looking at my phone in the morning, and there was a literal hundred percent chance that something would bum me out. 
And it, it was, and it wasn't that I disagreed with what anybody was saying. There'd be somebody that was like really mad about a diversity thing, or mad about politics, or mad about mad about they use too much flour in their pancakes or something. Oh, I'm so mad about that. I should probably- and all those things were all those things are real things that really matter that I think people should talk about, and you have an audience and use it, and yeah, and damn if I'm not bummed out all the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I've been trying, Chris? Uh, bring keep blogging weird. Uh, I got got some posts here. How was uh, that Ruby weird thing? That was uh, keep Ruby weird was awesome. I got we I could maybe recap that here on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been uh, I I've been I I have two blog posts. One is uh, me listening to any song by the Police. Uh, it is just a recap of what I what goes through my mind when I listen to a the Police song. And is Heart the greatest rock band ever? And I make a compelling argument, and uh, you're it's undefeatable. So. Uh, anyway, um, so those are that's kind of the direction I'm going with my new blog here, and I kind of like it, uh, enjoying it. But uh, keep Ruby weird, Chris. This was a good conference. There's a Ruby conference yeah. about Rubyus. Um, right in Austin, Yakuta Cats was there. Yeah, it was in Austin, keeping it weird. And um, uh, it was neat, man. Uh, one one guy did a talk on Dungeons and Dragons and how it relates to remote work like he works he does dungeons and dragons online through this app called roll 20 it's kind of popular uh for nerds but um it's uh but like and then he relates it to like slack and it's just like you you just you don't like it it was just a cool thing he like melded like this thing he was interested in to this thing like to this uh idea of like how how a project can succeed when everyone's remote and in trying to work together and tell a story together, just like D and D is collaborative storytelling. There's another guy got up there played a clarinet, um, and, and and he's like a professional. Uh, I think they're called clarinetist. <laughs> I would <laughs> think so. No, yeah. you say it with a little accent. Um, and uh, he's a professional clarinetist, and um, he he kind of just was. And he played in orchestras and and things like that. And he just was like, "Here's what I've I learned like playing the clarinet, and here's how it applies to software." And it's so weird, but it's like it all kind of works together. Um, and then I like uh, that. You know, that's lo- kind of the format for 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 CodePen show and tells is that you know we're all here because I don't know. Presumably, we care a little bit about CodePen, but while you're there, it could be anything. If you want to play the clarinet, great. Uh, and I, and and I like that, but and, and and then it's because it's not just random human beings on Earth. We're all here because we probably have something in common anyway. In this case, it was Ruby, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of like Ruby and um, local uh, Austinite Ceci Carrera got up there and she told like a she told the, like the psychology of fake news and basically how fake news spreads and triggers our like mm-hmm. like impulse to shame and and <laughs> repeat and and just kind of like. It was just, it was a cool, like, like people were interested in it. They are Rubyists and they're meeting together and sharing things. You know, it, it was, it was a cool conference and, uh, I would, I, I would go again. Yeah. More so. like that too. I, I, I want I more of those. I do too. But I, but I wonder if, you know, because conferences require, you know, capitalism to exist or whatever. Right. Whatever. Like, well, and you don't want to go to a conference and feel like you learn nothing, but, but. I like the weird f uh, like weird angle, you know. Conferences are so hard. We should do more, like at least one a show specifically about them. I always think there's also yeah. this like 
it's like extrovert demand of conferences. You know, every time at lunch, they're like, are you here alone? You know, you know, shake hands with the person next to you and go out to lunch with them. Yeah. I always found that kind of weird too. be like, how about I go back to my room and like watch an anime for a minute and then I come back and I'll actually feel better. I'm re-energized. That was a, that was a weird aside. Maybe we should talk about the internet. Well, so CSS DevConf, we went to CSS DevConf. Mina Markham brought down the house with her talk. Um, and and her talk is, is the story of her life on the Hillary campaign. And while that is a very interesting story, like being launched into kind of the forefront of American politics, uh, it's kind of the story of a pattern lab, you know, or pattern library, yeah. and, and how, like, it bottled into an 18 month time frame, shipping, you know, tens, dozens of products um, in like an 18 month, just basically super accelerator and in the role of a pattern library in a super accelerated environment. And that is a cool story. And then there's like this whole personal angle that Mina brings where, you know, she, because she like, I don't like what some, she like, uh, I don't know, made like, an ASCII art of Hillary's logo and put it in the CSS. And then somebody was like, no, you know, obviously she's fake because she would never do this or something. It's like, what? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it was wild. It's a really good story. I just like, I, I liked the stories. So anyway, that's, and I'm, yeah, I'm working on a talk right now, Chris, cause I'm going the re- another reason we had to do this show and the babies and all that, but, uh, I'm heading to beyond Tellerand in Berlin Oh, with Mark. Um, yeah. Mark deal. He's like, uh, I love Mark. Bye Mark. Germ- Germany's sweetheart. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he, uh, but, uh, I'm doing this talk that I've been doing kind of for like years, but it's keeps changing and evolving and I'm kind of super into it. And I'm kind of like, okay, if this is the talk I give for the rest of my life, um, I'm just, it's a talk about prototyping and I just, I don't know. I just keep like, I don't know. I keep you, re- so working and refactoring. Just that makes me think of that. Like the, you know, uh, did you see that thing by the Airbnb team where they like, pointed a camera at sketches and it like turned it into browser level markup. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Um, which is pretty kind of like wild. And that's actually an idea I've had. <laughs> like, I'm glad to see somebody did it. So, um, but yeah, you, if you can teach a computer, uh, to like recognize sketches, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I think it's a neat kind of future of, like, how do you get ideas from your brain to a digital space and then, like, refine ideas and stuff like that? And I've been looking at, like, other industries, movies, video games, comic mm-hmm. books, all of that to try and, like, figure this out. And um, anyway, it, I just could give this talk for the rest of my life. It's, yeah. Be the prototyping guy. I think I'll be prototyping guy. Sure. Put me in. Yeah. Put me in. Speaking of pattern labs, there's one that's or whatever, that kind of concept. There's one here by Vadim Grachev. Grachev, something like that. And this is a, interesting. Um, I get Photoshop, this is him speaking. I get Photoshop files from my designer, and then I my job is I process it into markup and styles and whatnot. Uh, and I have a complaint that happens during this process. My usual complaint is that uh, designers, that he or she doesn't seem to think in modules, essentially, is what he's writing here. Like s- simple examples, like she'll make 
H1 style slightly different on three different pages or make a crazy mm-hmm. amount of variations of buttons. So, mm-hmm. uh, you, and we've all seen the button example, right? Now this is me talking where it's like you take a page inventory later and you're like, wow, there's so many different button styles here. This is happening to Vadim here, uh, even at the design stage. So uh, sometimes the designer s- s- uh, understands that uh, my job is to translate these Photoshop files into code. They better be pixel perfect and, and whatever with all these variations. And then sometimes the result is very bulky code because of all the variations. So, for example, the designer gives me three pages, three different headings, three different buttons, but it's like the page isn't three pages. The final website is hundreds of different pages, and there's no clear rule about which headings to use, which buttons to use when they make new pages. What, uh, so, Vadim's question is how would you deal with that situation? Hmm. Well, I. This is a good question, and this happens a lot. I think. I think you have to <laughs> communicate with your designer. I think you have to talk to them, uh, which maybe not is not the funnest, but um, I think you have to uh, kind of bring it up. I, I think you know. One thing that helps is is don't like err on the side of being visual, like take a screenshot of the two things next to each other at a hundred percent, you know, and say like, Hey, I noticed like the, there's like two button styles, you know, uh, like should these be two buttons or should it be like one button? Yeah. Um, I mean, and, 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 like, and don't talk like that and don't assume that they're just an idiot. Be like, Oh, I hmm. see that there's two different buttons. What, what were you thinking here? And remember that, you know, we've mocked up a couple of pages here, but there's hundreds of pages on, on the site. Like what's the, what's the system here? And I would assume that, you know, I, I don't know. just, it seems that like, don't be pre mad about this. <laughs> you know, maybe they, yeah. Yeah. And it could be you, you are the, <laughs> the powder keg is already primed. Um, so yeah. What do you do? Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think you can, you, you could also code it and then document your concerns afterwards. That's another trick you could do. You could just like code out all three buttons and then make like a mini style guide that says, uh, we have three buttons, <laughs> like question mark or something, you know, just kind of like casually calling attention to the errors uh, or what you perceive as errors. Um, heading sizes, I mean, like you could just say you could write out like a uh i guess with headings and colors and things like that like a good way to do it is like can you like name all of them and like list out what sizes and line heights they are or what you know like can you like i'm having trouble naming them could you like come up with like the naming convention for all these uh, you know like a subtle nudge into a design system yeah just just because like you know i, I think that helps like and that's better than it looked good on this page dash H two or whatever. Yeah. Cause there may be so. some of that going on. I mean, I'm guilty of that. Just like designing something cause it looks good in the moment and having kind of been like, Oh shoot, that was just a one off and I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah. And well, and sometimes, yeah, like I'm trying to be more flexible here. Like usually we'll have like a, you know, H1, H2, H3 style, like base style sort of thing. But we actually do the dot H1 and dot H2 classes, which I know are controversial, but we do that because um, we haven't found a better system. And then I'll, I'll also have a title class on titles, like headings. Um, so at the component level, you can override title. And, you know, 
in certain cases we do actually specify a font size like or maybe this media query doesn't get as weird here on this yeah. component yeah. so which is just a class uh, right that's why i've been such a proponent of forever i don't really care what system you use just like have a bunch of classes that do things like that mm-hmm. like really chill attitude about css has gotten me pretty far and i'm very open minded to any way anybody wants to style anything in the world but just the, the the I don't know the Chris Coyer method for a long time is just like give it a name, have it be a class, <laughs> apply the class. It'll probably mm-hmm. be okay. <laughs> It'll be okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, right. so you just need to communicate more, Vadim, and just it 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 you'll be okay too. You know. I, yeah, and I think any, any kind of visual like thing helps talk about visual elements like like don't just say the h1 is messed up over skype or whatever because i've done that before and it doesn't work you say instead like hey i'm having trouble or like i i noticed there's like three or four different heading sizes i'm trying to like i'm having trouble making sense of it in the code base you know and when what the rules are for each one and then you know maybe it'll be a productive conversation so i hope so all right. I got. I really like this next one, or at least it's going to get me. Uh, you know what? I'm starting to think more and more of this show is like send us in a question, which will will actually just interpret as a loose topic, and then we'll talk about that topic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so here's an example of that. Steve Polito writes in. Uh, I, I I understand accessibility basics such as alt tags, title tags, semantic markup, having fallbacks in case JavaScript isn't enabled, etc. I know there's a lot more to accessibility, though, than just those examples. So here's some questions. Is there an accessibility checklist that you use? How do I emulate a screen reader on my machine? What else could I be overlooking? So general, he's just trying to level up with accessibility in the way. And there's a lot we can talk about here, but I'll take one to start with, if you don't mind. I saw, um, I was at Smashing Conf. Marcy Sutton was there, and she had mentioned, she's at a company now called Shoot. Get the company of it, but they make DQ. a Q. Okay, yeah, D, DQ, a Q, DQ. They make a a one of the things that they make is uh, you know I'm sure I think they do client work and stuff too. They have a public Git GitHub, you know, and they have this accessibility testing thing called Axe. Axe mm-hmm. Core is part of the is the I guess the you know the you know it's written in JavaScript and it's a thing that tests accessibility. But it was it was kind of new to me. I you know I'm a little embarrassed to, I guess to say that I didn't know that. Things like this, um, I don't know, existed in this format. But one of them is just like a JavaScript a script, and you can just like I just had it. Uh, uh, I can just use it on CodePen. I just loaded up the script, and then I call the API, and and you you, can't, you just like it just looks at your HTML, and sees if there's accessibility problems in it. That's one way to use it, and because it's written in JavaScript, they have a browser extension as well. So if you're just on a page, you're like, show me the accessibility problems on this website, uh, and it tells you them. <laughs> You know, it mm-hmm. returns like a chunk of JSON with a with problems in there and all kinds of information about potential accessibility problems on the site. Are you missing the language attribute somewhere? Are you do you have mismatching labels on your you know your inputs and labels and like what's going on with your buttons and all all that kind of stuff that can be kind of abstract that are just general accessibility advice? It it, it tells you, and I just think that's so cool. You know, we, uh, people talk about testing a lot, like unit testing and and that type of thing. You know, you got to write your own test. That's one of the problems with testing. Is like, oh man, you know, I get that we should do it, but nobody writes your tests for you. You got to write them yourself. We've said that on this show many times. In this case, 
It's like hundreds of tests that are already written for you. It's great. Mm -hmm. Why not start with these? Like the fact that this exists is is, uh, very awesome to me. And it's not the only one on the block either. Like GitHub just recently open sourced their accessibility tools that are kind of similar to this in a way. No, I think uh, I think Axe is a great tool, and actually, it's inside your uh, Google Lighthouse in, in your Chrome. Is it so Axe is built run into that? Lighthouse? Yep, it runs Lighthouse against your site, um, and yeah, you get a little score, a little a little one to a hundred grade, and then you just go through and fix. Automated testing is good, but it only kind of catches like twenty percent of twenty percent. Yeah, low. so. It doesn't quite get you all the way because like so much of of accessibility is kind of nuance and, you know, like somehow maybe you trick the test machine somehow to. uh, That's another thing that comes up. You know, that was one of Steve's questions is accessibility a checklist. And I've heard that as a soundbite before. No, accessibility is not a checklist. That said, there's lots of checklists. Yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, that's the thing. Like, we have a checklist on the A11Y project um, and dot com, and there's a checklist, and we got some SHIT for that because people are just like, oh, this is an abomination that you would even have this. And it's like, oh, we understand that. Um, (laughs) But, like, you kind of need to give some people something. And so I would recommend this uh, one just because I've worked on it. A lot of people have looked over it. It's not just one person's checklist, you know, it's kind of, you know, people try to kind of uh, give um, a little, you know, try to give like constructive feedback about it. Um, Yeah. But there's sort of like a a list of things you can do here. Uh, Axe will catch a lot of these, but um, you know, the th- other things I would say is try to tab through your website. Use the tab key, drive through your website. If you get to a form, like a, a select box or a radio or a checkbox, do the up and down, left and right arrows and the space bar and the enter button do what you expect. Um, does space bar and enter do what you expect on buttons, things like that. Um, and in the way you, like you, I guess, test that is just write it like correctly in a normal, like, in a code pen or something and try to do it in a code pen. And if your site is broken, uh, you did a bad. So, um, and then that that's like the major parts, you know, tabs and accordions and all this stuff where you start getting into ARIA roles, attributes, and states. This is where it gets a little tough. I'm not yeah. sure. Um, and a lot of that is focused specifically on the screen reader association with accessibility. And even that, isn't it us uh, only a slice of what accessibility means on the web. Yeah, pretty much. It's like anytime like you you display nund something and you uh have to click to see it almost any time you have created an accessibility foul because you you didn't, you know, and you didn't do any more piping than that. You basically kind of said like well visually they'll know I clicked the thing and the next thing showed up. And so it, that doesn't exactly work in, um, in a, like, I don't know, a, a an accessibility realm. So you have to kind of like, would work you your call way that into focus it. management as a, uh, focus management, but also just kind of like, like association, like, like, so there's this idea of like, like Aria expanded and you can put that like on a, a button or something like that, that opens a thing, um, like a drop down or a pop up. And if you add Aria expanded false, it'll say like, like expanded 
false, you know, like it'll basically say like, Oh, this expands something. And then it's like, Oh, expanded true. And then you can either then like set the focus to the thing that just expanded. Um, or you can not do that and they just have to tab to get to, and they should expect to be at the next thing that just got opened or whatever. That's where it gets nuanced. Like, like you don't know as a, a, and, and this is mostly for screen readers, but it's also for like people who, um, uh, have motor problems. You know, they kind of use like a, a tab key to kind of navigate a site. Um, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know what people expect, you know, all the time. So, and that's where I'm not a professional. And that's where I think at some point you probably want to bring in a professional or get very well educated, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like, you can automate, like definitely get the low hanging fruit because that's going to improve a lot of people's lives. But at some point you're going to have to kind of learn how it all works and how it all goes together. And so uh, this is a long answer. <laughs> Sorry. I just went through the, pro- I just coded my, you know, anytime somebody's like, Oh, what should I do for like accessible tabs? And my answer is like, always like, well, probably jQuery tabs because I know they like went through it and some pieces of bootstrap have like been through it, or you can find some weird accessibility tabs on GitHub or something. And it's just not great, but like it works and you know, it's accessible. I just went through the process um, and making a pattern library to like code my own accessible components for the very first time ever. And it was interesting because I learned a lot and, um, and I now have a way better understanding of how things kind of should go together and what properties I have available to, um, kind of manipulate and show and hide and, and do things like that, what attributes and, and properties. So, Mm -hmm. um, so it was good. I think I actually want to do a talk on this maybe or, or a big blog post or something, but um, it's just kind of this, it's almost like a video game. I'm big into video games in my talks apparently, but um, uh, the, the, like once you learn how to do it, it's kind of like a puzzle, like a Zelda puzzle. Like you're like, Oh, I figured it out here. I can take that knowledge and I can do the next puzzle because I learned the first thing in the first puzzle. And now I can go to this next puzzle and figure out the, what needs to happen here. So I, yeah, wasn't it? It was just a couple last week, two weeks ago, or something. The idea of kind of anytime you have an opportunity to kind of gamify yourself a little bit, it ends up generally being a, an effective way to to get work done. You know, like remember you oh, were, yeah, yeah. You know, that's why closing issues feels so good. You know, like if you need to, if you need any uh, motivation to work on accessibility issues, why don't you open tickets for every single little one of them and un, you know, finish that maze yeah. that way. Yeah, now it's like a responsibility to finish or whatever. But it works every time. I'm as guilty as the next person at having some live accessibility fouls that are tricky. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by One Month. Are you learning to code? Maybe you're trying to get better at JavaScript, WordPress, React, Python. You know, a lot of the stuff we talk about here on Shop Talk Show. Presumably, you're interested in trying to level up. In fact, uh, uh, people from, you know, like... Google and Facebook take courses from one month, which is cool. Yes, it's about courses. The URL being onemonth.com slash shop talk. That's an important URL because it gets you 25% off all one month courses. So, you know, it's about helping you level up in, in your career. It was started by two Columbia University professors, Chris Kastig and uh, Matan Griffel, whose lives both changed when they taught themselves how to code. So 
I got, I've heard that story from so many people. There's in a big way, and they're trying to help you go through that life transformation stuff, make your life better. For example, here's a thing that you can learn. In one month Python, you learn to build an Amazon web scraper, a script so that you can search and download data from hundreds of Amazon pages at once. Pretty cool and fairly real world. You got to do stuff like that once in a while in the world of of development. And of course, it's just a project idea. The secret goal is to just make you a better programmer at all. But it's nice to build something real world to get that feeling too. It's such a great idea. Uh, two, you'll make an app that displays this week's weather. So Dark Sky, you know, it's like the best weather app anyway. It has a good API. You can use that API. You're learning to use APIs, but you're building a weather app too. Very real world. Three, you'll use a big data set with tools like Pandas and Jupyter. You'll learn uh, how to use the Twilio API to programmatically send text messages to your customers. All kinds of cool. In, 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 in other one-month courses, you'll learn how to build WordPress themes, React apps, Android apps, much more. The URL, again, onemonth.com slash shop talk. Be one of over 70,000 students who have taken these courses. Save 25% while you're doing it. Onemonth.com slash shop talk. Okay, let's do another one. Uh, Raymond Selzer. I'm going to do this one. This one sounds kind of fun. This is in reference to you know some old show, something, something. And it was... It was it was a, I think we were talking about a, a kind of a you know getting involved with somebody else's website, like trying to be like, hey, you know, can you help me out? I need to you know change something in the footer or something of the site. Be like, yeah, I should be able to figure out that. Only to kind of find out that uh, they don't really have FTP access to the site, and it's unclear who in the universe does. <laughs> which is always a kind of a sinking feeling. Like I don't know, even know if I want to get involved with this that just has all the dangers of. You know, like I just don't. It's not a good use of my time to be battling people problems on something that I have no stake in or whatever. I know, I know that's a little bit vague, but can you can imagine that? You meet somebody in the coffee shop and they're like, "Help me change this text," and you're like, "Do you have any access to change that?" No. Uh, what are we gonna do? In this case, it was a WordPress site though. So, so Raymond Selster writes in. You guys were mentioning this WordPress story that was frustrating because there's no FTP access. In the past, what I've done in these situations is to install a file manager plugin, grab the theme files instead of using the editor. I'm afraid of the editor because if you mess up uh, the PHP in a theme file that's required every time, like functions.php, the site dies and so does your only way to fix it. Uh, which is a good point, right? Like if you... <laughs> You mess up just the front end of the site, that's one thing. But if you mess up something like your functions.php on an active file on a WordPress site, it kills the admin too. Yeah, oh yeah, white screen. <laughs> so that's not the best situation. So, you know, then he's like, you know, kind of goes on to here's some other things, other access points and stuff. But what do you think about all that? Oh man, that I, it's kind of an interesting trick by Raymond being like, okay, well, I really need to edit something and I don't have FTP access. Well, if it's WordPress and you have admin access, you kind of can force your way in there if you need. Yeah, well, and what's it says he upload a admin or PHP, which is like a it's like a single file version of PHP my admin or something. Weird. Oh, I didn't it's even just, get to that point. PHP my admin being that like PHP thing that gives you MySQL access. It's like that awful yeah. interface, but everybody's knows it. Yeah. Oh, that's that's tricky. And then I guess you once you have that, then at least you can get into the database. And if you can get into the database, you could always deactivate a problematic theme. So that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I mean, uh, that's a good way. That's a good workaround. I just I try to never use that little editor thing. I know it's. I think it should not disappear. I think it's. Well, if it turns out that, that somebody else has, it is actually versioning version controlling this website. You just don't know about it, then any change you make is going to get wiped out anyway. Yeah. Yeah. On it, there's no way to like sync those changes to your local without like pulling reverse pulling the FTP, which is what we used to do in the day. Um, you fire up Coda, you grab all the files before you put, yeah, make a change, and then then you upload all the files. I thought that was gonna be a war at some point, uh, in the work just because I came from that world so hard, that Coda world that like just do it live, just. This isn't that hard. Nothing's that mission critical. I just work on the server. I just use Coda. Not that you can't use Coda to work locally. It's too. It's just the UI of Coda and the popularity of Coda was really like encouraged that cowboy stuff a lot. And I don't know. I feel like it almost wasn't talked about enough in our industry. Like how bad of an idea that was. Even though the the software itself was great, that it probably encouraged that cowboy stuff way more than it should have. Oh no, they. I mean. I it's it's a good like credit where credit due is a great editor but like on their website right now they're like you know download the iPad app and edit your site remotely and it's like oh god please don't uh, yeah isn't or, there something and then just, they kind of they put Git into it somehow but like does, ugh, it still doesn't I don't know I'm not trying to like blame Panic I mean they made a million dollars people love it I don't care well and it's a it's a good it's a good piece of software but yeah I, and I may be misrepresenting it I apologize but and, but uh, I don't think it really did lead to industry wide problems or whatever I mean if for one thing it's Mac only software and, and yada yada you don't have to you don't have to misuse it anyway but I think for the most part the, the like local dev environments won the day I mean that's what everybody does yeah yeah, I think so. I wonder it'd be cool. I wonder if like Coda or the FTP life <laughs> hashtag FTP life uh, spread that around Twitter. Um, I wonder if there was like some kind of idea of like a lock file or like a you know like a like a lock file with a date, you know, and you couldn't make updates until you like you synced like R synced or something basically mm. like. I wonder if they something like that had been instigated or inst, like standardized. I wonder if it would still be the way to do. Things. Also, there's a way to set serve like file permissions on files that would break something like the WordPress file editor, right? Like because the when you're looking at and editing a file in a web browser, that's a certain like user. And if that user doesn't have permissions to edit things in that way, they just can't. There's got to be some way to kind of break that at the server level. Yeah. Eh. Hey, what a, what a, we should write the alternate reality fan fiction where FTP uh, is the way to m- deploy websites. You know, and I say that, but I use rsync, and I'm not sure it's a hell of a lot different, you know. It just is a little more automated, yeah. and it syncs the files. So yeah, you are a big fan of rsync. I didn't, uh, didn't like go through those days. I get what it is and what it did for you. I just I'm jealous is what I'm trying to say. Oh, Chris, you gotta do the rsync. It's nice. All right, hey, next question comes from Claire Annan. Uh, have you tried out Mavo? M a v o dot i o. At a quick glance, it looks like a JS framework mixed with an inline CMS sprinkled with data storage hooks. 
is this the answer to all our prayers? <laughs> Have you heard of this? I, it's the I'm Leah gonna... Baru thing, right? Oh, is it? I think she made this as part of like a, oh yeah, like a MIT fingerprints all over it thing. And it was kind of like <laughs> it was. She had like a a big thing for a minute that was all like, um, oh God, how do I how do I explain it? Like like JavaScript. You know, is great and all, but we should be able to. There, there should be a a world where we tell JavaScript what to do through HTML more. And she even had yeah. like a a roundup of of great um, JavaScript libraries that you didn't need to write any JavaScript. It was a JavaScript lib, but it was entirely configurable through HTML attributes and stuff. And then I think mm-hmm. this kind of fits into that world in which, um, like, don't worry about what Mavo's doing or whatever. Tell, tell HTML that you want it to be editable through attributes and stuff, and Mavo will do its thing. Yeah, it's kind of like an attribute-driven framework, kind of. Yeah, uh, and the idea was editability. Probably not the right. Yeah, I, I'm not sure because I don't know where the data goes after you change it. Don't you need some data storage or something? This is not the. Fr- there's been not to you know take. I'm sure there's differences in how all these things work, but there's been. You know, edit your page right from the front end of your website frameworks forever. Uh, some of them have, I think, some of them have gone in and out of fashion and stuff. I think they've always had an audience. There's always been certain people out there that make certain types of websites that like them and swear by them and whatnot. But um, they've never really taken over. This is not the answer to this is the framework of the future. Everyone will be doing this kind of thing. This is a way to make editing a one-off page a little easier. Mm-hmm. If I had, and I think this could be combined with like, let's say on CodePen, we have, you know, we have our whole app and we have the thing, but then we have like 10 landing pages. There's no reason that we couldn't do both, that we couldn't have this like whole fancy Rails world or have part of our site be WordPress driven or whatever, and then have like 10 landing pages that are Mavo or some other one of these, you know, edit the website from the front end of the website. Uh, Kind of situations because that because maybe the way that our team is structured, there's somebody on their team that's that can that really fine tunes these landing pages and is changing them all the all, all the time and is SEOing them up and is building more of them and they just like how this works. It looks like they're not you know logging into WordPress. They're doing it. They're they're editing it on the front end of their. I mean, there's a great market for it. I, I don't know. It doesn't handle routing for you. It doesn't handle reusability of things. Although it does a, a little bit, I think there's, like, for example, there's a way to do like a to-do list. So there's some way to repeat things, certainly, but it's not like a way to store navigation and reuse it on multiple pages. That's just not something this is designed to do. So it's it's limited what it can do, but what it does, it does well. I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I'm, this is the classic, uh, I should have really researched this a lot more before <laughs> I read the question situations, but, um, I had, I did talk with Leah a, a bit about this. I feel like some years ago when it was still kind of work in progress and it does sound interesting, like, like, and, and she's very pragmatic in how she thinks about like solving problems. So I think it's like a good direction. I just, I don't know. I see the, like, uh, it's in beta. There's dragons um, <laughs> message right now. So I don't know. I, I'd be curious to know more. Um, I don't know. I did. This is not, I'm not like, don't want to pin things against each other, Chris, but I recently, I have an idea and it's kind of about that Twitter toxicity thing you were describing. 
um, like I have an idea for an app, um, uh, uh, kind of about that. And so I was like, well, I'll just use a JS app. You know, I'll do some of these yeah. fancy JS frameworks. Great podcast fodder. Let's do it. NPM install. And I installed like Preact CLI, create React app and Next.js. And I've like kind of been going through all of them, just trying to like get it, basically just get it installed, Chris, because it downloads half of NPM. And uh, <laughs> I am not having a good time with any of these. And uh, I I don't know. I, I think eventually I'll figure it out and like be in a better state. But right now I'm just like, this is not my favorite. So n- none of these. So I'm very open to uh, any um, competitors or, or different ways of building things. I would also like to try Vue. I need to put Vue. Oh, yeah. It's, I've so. played with it, but not but not enough. It feels like I'm not worried about Vue because it's everybody. It seems so intuitive that it's like if you have a bunch of React experience or whatever, and you want to build a Vue thing, it's not going to be that different. Yeah, well, and I think uh, Mavo here looks a little bit like Vue in, in the like it's it's a kind of attribute driven, um, like markup driven um, sort of stuff. So. I think the um, thing I was trying to think of was Couch CMS. It was like this has been around forever, which is this like I think of the early days of it. It was, you know, just put this attribute on this HTML element and then it's automatically editable through this CMS. I think over the years it got more complicated than that. Now it looks kind of like is it do they still work on this thing? I don't know. Yeah. You know when you look at a landing page and you're just like not sure if it's like it looks like the I don't know the copyright in the footer says 2017. You can still buy it, but the logo is one X. So you're like, does anybody does anybody look at this website anymore? I'm sorry if you if the if everybody if Couch CMS is kicking butt and a totally active project these days, but it just kind of doesn't seem like it because of the way the landing page looks. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder what this. Yeah, that would be interesting. It seems like there's always like a there's a lot we go through. Like there's like oh, it goes down to like three CMSs that you'd actually use, and then like the next year there's like 150 new CMSs on the market, and then the, the next year there's like three CMSs. I, I wish we could like uh, you know the, one of the fundamental problem of being. I I find I love talking about CMSs. I think it's fascinating, but I but. The opportunities you have to work on production CMSs is, is only a couple if you're lucky. You know, like how many people have ten different CMSs that they're actively maintaining? Some people, but not very many. Normally, you avoid that. You you want to only have a few so that your your knowledge is deeper on the few. You know, so to to have like a lot of different CMS experiences rare. I think. Yeah, totally. We had a. We had a client inquiry uh, for a. They wanted .NET because they had basically a, their Microsoft stack, and they wanted a .NET based CMS so they could kind of own it and maintain it going forward. And I just was like, "Oh, I like don't know, <laughs> you know, I don't know as a .NET CMS. I, you know, it's kind of like blew my mind." Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. There's got to be one, but I just was like, I don't know what even where to start. So. There's a lot of different ones. Oh. All right, um, uh, we got I a don't little know bit if we more. We answered stuff. that question, but sure. Let's. <laughs> it looks. Oh, good. I want to talk about this one. This is fun because I would like to. It's related a, a tiny bit to CMSs. So Travis, do it, do it, do it. How do you say Dubois? Travis Dubois. Let's say 
Dubose. Dubose? Dubois? Dubois? <laughs> I'm curious at what kind of editorial workflows you employ at CSS Tricks and elsewhere. I'm, I'm Dave, you blog too. You know, we're the same. I'm specifically mm-hmm. looking for the nitty gritty of getting like WordPress docs from authors and getting them into a CMS like WordPress. Right now, I'm using Pandoc to output HTML and then editing it heavily before pasting it into WordPress. But it feels a bit janky and a little inefficient. Any insight you can give me would be great. I need to Google Pandoc now. Not that I'm not going to. I just. <laughs> Pan doc. <laughs> no, I'm like, it looks I, I, like it converts. Um, like a if you have a Word file, it can convert it into to Markdown or, or other formats. That's cool. Okay, That's yeah. fine. I, I've used, I've had this in the past where somebody submitted to me a great article in, uh, in Google Docs, and I was like, crap, what's the best way to move this? It's really not easy. <laughs> There's a WordPress plugin or a, a browser plugin I found that kind of would. Sort of do it, or I think it wasn't even a browser plugin, but it was one. You know how Google Docs can like run extensions that <laughs> it can like run code that other people have written. It's very bizarre, but it's a thing that I can do. And somebody had written one that was way out of date, but it sort of worked because there's no way to just like copy and paste a Microsoft Word file and get like really nice clean HTML out of it. You can get a messy, awful HTML, or you can get, or, and there's no way to export it as. Markdown either easily, so I think that's where this comes in. Anyway, I was like, I, I might as well just hand hand rewrite it. I might as well copy it as plain text and then just carefully side by side replicate what they've done in HTML. So workflow wise, that's awful. I think there's probably better ways to do it. I bet there's people out there that have a great Google Docs to WordPress um, flow, but it depend. It, it's not. There's not just one way to do that. Realize a lot of it depends on. What your WordPress situation is like, or whatever other CMS is like. Do you are you in Markdown over there? Are you in just HTML over there? Are you using the visual editor? Are you not using the visual editor? Totally depends. There is some like flow. I think it's some Jetpack related, like uh, uh, literally Google Docs to WordPress like official thing these days. I'm not sure how well that works, but I, I suspect that it doesn't come over like ultra clean. Still. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I tell you, I've been having a lot of luck with uh, Dropbox Paper. I couldn't say more good things about it. I think it's a super nice editing tool uh, that has all the right permission modes in it. You know, it's like I invite this person; they have editing access. I can see revisions. We can comment on things. It out, it outputs as Markdown, and I can just do that on CSS Tricks. I don't I don't use Markdown. So if I could go back in time, I would. But there's so much stuff in there that's not Markdown that I'm just like, yeah, we'll just stick with HTML. It's HTML essentially, and I I take, but I prefer people write in Markdown because I wrote my own little program that converts it out of Markdown and then does does a bunch of find and replace crap all over it to. Get it like just in the format I need it to. So workflow wise, I have a pretty nice little, a pretty nice little system. Although it's nice for me, I'm now having Miranda, my wife, help out with some more of that stuff, and she's like, "That's your workflow? Are you nuts?" Because <laughs> <laughs> only I have this, all the this this little. It's like basically a Sublime text plugin I wrote just to do this, and it only works on my machine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're right. Maybe not the best. The Rube Goldberg, yeah, <laughs> uh, fixes. Oh, I'm sorry. I said a lot of words there. What do you think? Oh no, I think uh, I think no. I'm I curious about yeah, like like CSS Tricks is a great model. You know, Smashing Magazine would be like another one I'd be interested in. Like how 
Can you just invite like people in? That's another way to do it. Like I make mm-hmm. I make users in WordPress for all of my guest guest authors anyway. And if you write enough times, eventually I'm going to be like, "Can you just write this in WordPress, please?" Because I like trust mm-hmm. you, and I think you're going to probably do a good job. Or if I know that you're kind of a WordPress person anyway, and you're going to be comfortable in there, I'm just like, just write it in WordPress. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, or like you figure out how to paste it. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then just save you're it. And I'll go clean it up. I mean, I'm, don't just hit publish. I, I'll clean it up when you're done. I just it's just workflow wise that tends to work fine. I've also just been. I just I feel like <laughs> giving as much free promo to this company as. But I I, I secretly like want to work with them because I think this app is so hot. In fact, didn't I invite you to it? I think Notion is like the greatest thing that's ever happened to web to to, to note taking in a world. It's like an app. For documents, which is way underselling it, but it has really nice permissions stuff as well. So another workflow wise, you could use Notion as well and just invite somebody to a document. They write in there, it exports as Markdown. Uh, should work great. There's got to be lots of tools for this stuff, and there is. Yeah, we, you know, um, on the editorial flow, if you can call it that, for. Um the accessibility project, which I mentioned earlier, it's pretty loose. It's you know it it's on Git, so it's like kind of a high bar. You know, sure, that would be another way though. If you're working with some techie people, use Git. Yeah, and then like basically, you just have to you can make a PR if you want, if you're that technical, or if you just want to make a gist and write it in Markdown or however you want, just write text in a thing. Like we can take the gist, we can put it in a file, we can like make the request for you. Um, and like we can kind of hash it out or edit it in whatever way works best for you. We've lost a few posts kind of in that way um, just by like, uh, you know, like somebody forgets to check up on it and then it's just kind of like lost forever. So, um, you know, like a, a editing flow where it just kind of like barks at you to like get things done. I don't know if that works. You almost need like a, you almost need like a, slack or something to kind of keep track of articles or or people like that but um but yeah it was kind of a good it's a pretty good process in terms of like just like we want to accept your content however and then like if you don't know how or you don't care we'll help format it and put it in the system so i think you have to kind of be opening open to that word docs is rough um but yeah if you can like copy you know, oh, it depends on how long the articles are, but if you can just copy it and paste it somewhere and then convert it to Markdown, like just add a little pounds for the headings and things like that and, re, you know, reset up the links, then you should be in good shape. But um, but that's still maybe kind of an expensive process. I'm almost more interested in not the technical part, but the, the higher level, like what is a real publications editor workflow. Like I'm jealous of all the people that work in and have experience with actual publishing because I feel like I want to be an actual publisher. I'm trying to get there, but I don't know how actual publications work. So I, and we should get a uh, Mandy Brown in uh like a, sure. that'd be great. Trey, Trey, somebody from a newspaper or something or from a magazine. Cause I feel like a girl, you know, I don't, Oh, I know Travis Swice good. He works at uh, Condé. There Boston, you go. The technical team. But, so an busy. actual editor. Yeah. Yeah. I like all these ideas. Get everybody. Oh, you know, but you know what I mean? Like that, that idea of an, an editor, you know, you think of editing as I'm fixing typos or whatever garbage, you know, that's not editing. That's proofreading. Editing, an editor has a plan. 
for what they're going to publish. You know, and I'm, I'm saying I don't know what's going on, and now I'm trying to explain it. So take this with a grain of salt. But I wish I had like you know there was somebody you know at CSS Tricks. I wish we had the money and we're big enough to do this. But like this is you know this is what we're going to do in 2018. This month, this is what our focus on. We got these journalists on these subjects, and we got this research going on, and we got this. You know, and then this is our flow, and this is who's writing it, and this is who's proofreading it, and this is who's doing the accessibility review, and this is where the assets are coming from, and this is, you know, like that's an editorial workflow that I want to, you know, like a real world. No, totally. You want like I, I, you know, as a blogger, (laughs) I blog on my own personal site, and it's bad, and sometimes I'll like submit it to Reagan and Trent, and they'll kind of like whittle things down, and like you know, they'll fix my fix my like bad ideas or whatever. Uh, but I kind of just in the interest of like getting things out, I kind of <laughs> stopped doing that. Not cause I don't like them or their feedback, but I just like, I just want to get it out. But I'd love like to hire like a real editor, like somebody like to, to take my article from a zero to a hero right. and, and preserve kind of my voice or work with me on my voice. That would be, very- you know, and then the workflow isn't, Hey, I've written this entire thing. Please make it better. It might be, but it might be like, why didn't we should have been talking about this before you wrote your first paragraph? You know, like, mm-hmm. what are you trying to say? Who are you talking to? Who are you going to interview? You know, what's your points and what's your, yeah, what's your point? You know, all that stuff should, could be probably part of a, a better workflow. And of course, that's what they do at, you know, even like Backpacker Magazine or whatever, you know, to bring things back to, I'm still buying magazines, Dave, for the record. No, no. Well, backpacker, <laughs> you pick some. More I up. did. I got something good, <laughs> dude. This should be a whole segment on our show what? from now on. I'm traveling tomorrow, so I'm just gonna pick up random. Do it. Magazine. Do it. At the- some of them are good, and some of them are terrible. It's like flipping on cable these days. You're like, people watch this. Oh my god, it's like one percent content, and even when you're in the content part, it's terrible. And then, and then you, and then you find you haven't gotten up for two hours, and you're like, damn it, it's working. Yeah, it's like ah. Great British Bake Off, you win again. Uh, oh man, um, yeah, that's funny. Okay, we should wrap it up. You got, sure. a, you got a baby. All right, um, all right. Uh, thanks, dear listener, for uh, downloading this in your podcatcher choice. Be sure to star heart favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter for at or at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. If you hate your job, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash jobs and get a brand new one. And, and we got a uh, job mention. We oh, do. I think this is so cool, too. This is, this is uh, um, the company is called literally Budget Dumpster. I just like the word dumpster okay. anywhere. I think it's like in yes. vogue at the moment, but it's kind of what you expect it is. It's literally dumpsters, like, you know, that you put garbage in. Uh, but they're kind of like on demand and they're affordable. And in, in, there's like a, in, a website in which that you can get a dumpster on it, which just, if you step back a minute, just makes sense. <laughs> you know, like if you need a dumpster, there should be a really good website to do it. And I think probably they found a great niche here because they're, believe it or not, one of the fastest growing tech companies in the United States. Like this thing is blowing up, uh, but they're still kind of small. So there are, uh, there's a hundred people that work there. So and they're looking for I don't know you essentially they're looking for a front end web developer they're in Cleveland Ohio and it's the stuff that you know by you know they're, they 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 work with Atomic Design with Smack uh, Smacks they're they're into CSS grid layout you know you need to be an HTML CSS person it'd be good if you knew some build process kind of stuff and it looks like they do some testing with Jasmine Karma. 
that's fantastic. They're using jQuery. They, you know, you should know GitHub stuff that you probably already know. You can, and I feel like it's probably like a pretty good company to get in on. They're, they're you know, help build this great website. And what they're having success with is the business itself, is the idea. What they need is you as a front end web developer to do this thing. So, uh, the job, you know, the job posting will be in the show notes and it's on the shop talk show job board. It's the website is budgetdumpster.com, but you should probably go to the, the, the job posting itself is over on LinkedIn. So it's easy to apply anyway, because LinkedIn makes that easy and that's it. Do it. There you go. Get it up. There, Maybe you'll go do it. Sometimes you know, get a job like this and you get in early at a company. It's uh might be the last job you ever have. You know what I'm saying? There you go. Upgrade your life. All right. Well, I think that's all we got. Uh, Chris, uh, anything else you'd like to say? Shopdoctor.com.